You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, before we dive, uh, before we get into the message, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, I'm really excited about the kind of this message for today and concluding a series that we've been on for nine weeks uh, called Heroes Unknown. We've been looking at uh, unknown heroes in the Bible, people that you probably wouldn't recognize like Tychicus, uh, the boy and his lunch. Uh, you guys remember Bezalel, old Bez? Uh, we talked about him. Sarah, Joseph of Marathea, uh, the women witnesses, the thief on the cross. We've been looking at these um, unsung heroes because oftentimes when we look at the big heroes like Moses and Paul and you know they're kind of larger than life and it's really hard for us to see ourselves in the story but but the power of this book is when we see ourselves in it when we on every page we oh that applies to me oh I, I can relate to that person I can I, well that helps me understand my walk of faith and so that's what we've been trying to do over these last nine weeks is to help see ourselves put ourselves uh, in this story and today is no different um, as we look at um, uh, a group of people that were being marginalized unintentionally by the early church um, before we get to that, um, you know, this weekend has reminded me, you know, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving as a national holiday um, to commemorate the, the feast, right, that was shared between the, the colonists and the Wapanago Indians. And uh, these, this group of Indians opened up their table to uh, the colonists, to the settlers that first Thanksgiving, um, shared their food with them, um, invited them into their space. Um, but we also know that it was less than a year before this, this, the devastating conflict that kind of raged our lands for, for centuries really um, began to happen. And as I thought about that, I realized conflicts still exist between people. Have you noticed that? The last few months, a couple years. Um, I've talked with families who um, don't know what to do because they maybe didn't share Thanksgiving meals with the same family they did two, three years ago because of the division that's, come, that's, been, that's been allowed to kind of come into our homes and to come into this home, right? Churches, I talk with every church is in the same boat, right? Where longtime members of, of one church have gone to another church and longtime members of another church have come to this church and, and it's just been this kind of, weird season of conflict and and our heroes today have something to teach us about how to keep our tables open how to keep our hearts open now um let me just say this that this should be true for every message but i feel really like i feel like this is true for this message a group of pastors and i were talking just a couple weeks back about how it seems like in these days um the people in our churches aren't listening. <laughs> and I was quick to say, oh no, my church is completely different. <laughs> but it's like, we know it all already. We've already formed our belief systems. We've already decided that um, what we think about everything. And so what's happened is that we don't give room for the Holy Spirit to bring repentance, rebuke, correction, tweaking, um, challenging. And so I'm gonna ask you to do today is just take a moment right now, if you want, <laughs> and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. To give space right now to say, Jesus, come, my heart's open. I wanna hear what you have to say to me, even if it challenges me. 
even if it challenges my long-held beliefs. <laughs> Amen. Well, that was a setup. All right. Let's dive in. Um, Acts chapter 6, this is a story. The church, when we get to Acts 6, the church is like flourishing up and to the right. People are coming to Christ every day. Healings are happening, miracles. It's just an incredible, just like this atmosphere, just lots going on. And then we hit Acts chapter 6, and, it, and it's regarding the 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 dispute or the disagreement that comes into the church. We look at, we start the story in chapter six, verse one. Now in these days, these days being these days of growth and fruitfulness and all of that, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the Hellenists are a group of Jewish people who grew up uh, in, in Greek or Roman culture. They came to Christ during this, the early days of the early church, but they were very much not Jewish. They were um, culture, ethnically, but not culturally. And then you have the, the Hebrews who were, they were Jews that had become Christians. And so they had these, there's, these, there's this distribution program going on in the church. So they were trying to help the poor, help the needy. And widows and orphans are, have always been at the top of the list when it comes to how the church cares for those in need, right? And so, so the, but there was this group of widows, um, the Hellenists, that were being disregarded. They were being forgotten, um, and, and so the early church hears about this. The leaders hear about this. The 12 apostles, they hear about this. And I love their response to, um, to this, uh, this problem, this dilemma. Um, I've been reading a book. It's really, really good. Um, it's called Subversive Witness by Dominique Dubois-Gilliard. Um, it's a challenging book. It's causing me to, to think differently about some things or to at least think more deeply about some things. And this is what he writes about this, this um, what's going on in Acts 6. The Hebraic widows were cultural insiders with direct access to the city and church's dominant culture, customs, and language. The Hellenistic widows were Jews who lived most of their lives in Greek-speaking cities and towns outside of Jerusalem and returned to the city as cultural outsiders. The Hellenist widows felt as if their outsider status was causing them to be overlooked and marginalized in the church's distribution of food. So the 12 apostles, what they do is they gather everybody together. When I say everybody, I mean, the text makes it sound like they summoned the, it says they summoned the full number of disciples. By this time, that means thousands of people. And I don't know, maybe there was a different group, maybe it wasn't that many, but I, I think it was a fairly large group that they gathered together and said, this isn't right. This isn't right. We, we, we as the apostles, we shouldn't be, we, sh we, we need to take care of this. And we're busy preaching and ministering to the body, and, but we can't forget this. And so, um, and so you kind of like, why do they make such a big deal of this? Like, just fix it, you know? But why is this such a big deal? And why did it make it into the Bible? And you have to think like, I believe that this was a pivotal moment in the early church's formation. That if they didn't deal with this conflict, that they were going to end up at the very best with two different churches. And at the very worst, no church at all. 
I think that that was the kind of conflict that we're talking about. That if this group of Hellenist widows were not going to be cared for and if they were to continue to be overlooked, then I believe the Hellenists would have been an offshoot. They would have just started their own movement. Um, <laughs> why do I think that? Because that's what's happened since with denominations and all of that stuff. We, won't, we don't have time to get into all that. But that's what we do, right? And so the early church, the leaders saw this and they said, we gotta do something about this. So I think that's part of it. But then I also like, these 12 disciples, these disciples saw Jesus and how he ministered and who he ministered with and who Jesus invited to his table. And you gotta think about that. Like there were, and Jesus invited prostitutes to his table, like Mary. He invited Samaritans to his table, like the woman at the well. He invited tax collectors, notorious sinners, like Zacchaeus, to his table. Fishermen, uneducated, the poor, the marginalized. Jesus seems to surround himself. And so this is the backdrop for these disciples saying this, there is, a, there is a group being disregarded and we, because of how Christ has showed us and lived among us, we cannot disregard them any longer. And I love that they didn't try to cover up their miss or explain it away or that when Luke's writing the book of Acts, somebody, that, somebody says, ah, no, keep that one out. That was, a, that was a bad moment in our, nope, it's all there. And they don't try to, they don't try to explain it away. And they, and, and they also don't cast the, the Hellenistic widows as being divisive either. You don't see that anywhere in the text. They don't, they don't blame the, them for, you know, you know, not, you know, not doing enough themselves, that kind of thing. And so, and so the problem wasn't that they hated the Hellenist widows. That's not the problem at all. The problem was that there were systems that were built to care for the, for the needs of the people in their church, in their congregation, and these systems were not designed with this group of women and their needs in mind. So they decided um, that they needed a council to oversee the distribution of this food to all the widows, to both groups of widows. So the entire community selected the leaders, which by the way, the entire community was made up, majority group was the Hebraic community, the Jewish, um, ethnically Jewish people that they were, they were the ones that were in the majority. And then the Hellenists, there were a few of them in the mix as well. And they get to decide who's going to be on the council. So they select seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And, and this is who they selected, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Guess what group all seven are from? The Hellenists, the minority group. Just let that sink in for a minute. I don't think that would happen today. <laughs> was, that a, was that like, did I undersell that just a little bit? Yeah, I don't think that would happen today. I don't, think, I don't think leaders necessarily in the church would allow that to happen today. Something that maybe leaders in the church need to repent from, but there's this sense of like, how did that happen? You know, 
I'm pretty sure that if the disciples and the majority were afraid that changing the system of food distribution would leave the majority out, they would have made sure there was more, there was a majority represented on the leadership team. They were not afraid that, that the pendulum would swing too far by giving voice to the minority group. It's really intriguing. I mean, it's just to kind of think about that, the social dynamics of this going on, super interesting to me. And we just kind of like passed over it, right? We don't think about that. But I, in the current climate, I'm like, huh. Uh, that's interesting. And, that, and they chose spirit-filled people who, with wisdom to oversee the new system. People that had open hearts, open tables, and they knew that they didn't have to f- worry about the majority now not getting fed. They knew that everyone would be taken care of. I was serving, I've been serving on uh, the board of directors for our denomination. It's a group of 25 um, elders that um, um, most of us were elected. And so I was elected last year and it's the, um, the highest decision-making body in our denomination. And so, so, um, so I've been serving there since last June. I remember my first meeting last June, in June of 2020. And I'm sitting there, I'm not a voting member yet. And so I'm just kind of, a, I'm an observer. And, um, and um, on the agenda was a conversation um, regarding racism. And I remember sitting there listening to one of our black pastors begin to tell his story of being disregarded by our denomination. He didn't have an ax to grind. He didn't, there was, there's no sense of an agenda behind it. It was just his story shared, shared in a way that was just like, this is my story. And it sounded so much like the Hellenist. Like there's just, there's a group of people that, that, have been disregarded in our church family. And there was this acknowledgement by the leaders that some had been excluded from the life of the church. And I so appreciate the response of our leaders who didn't um, try to be defensive or try to explain it away or try to just minimize his story and just say, well, that's just one story. There's all of these other stories. They just, they simply listened and gave voice to someone who represented a minority group in our movement and weren't afraid of what might happen. And as a result, our denomination has become better for it. Or more inclusive, more um, well-rounded, do you know that there's brothers and sisters in Christ who, who, when they talk about this, highlight the Hellenists? And I've been in church my whole life and nobody ever highlighted the Hellenists. Every message I've ever heard or preached from Acts 6 always has to do with how the disciples released authority so that the church could continue to grow as an organizational decision, not a social decision. And yet those voices that are, have been marginalized, read the story differently. 
And now I'm better for it and I hope you're better for it and I hope our denomination's better for it and I know the early church was better for it because the word of God, verse seven, continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love what Evan talked about last week, uh, how he showed us how the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Do you remember that? If you were here, he's, he, he started listing groups of people that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for everyone. It's good news for Jews. It's good news for Gentiles. It's good news for Samaritans. It's good news for the Greek. It's good news for the Roman. It's good news for the Canadians and the Americans, for liberals and conservatives. That's when it started getting quiet in the room. And, and for straight and gay. It's good news for everyone. But if we allow the world or politics or even some of our Christian traditions to dictate how the church responds to certain groups, we will miss the move of God among us. And I'm convinced that when we enlarge our tables and invite others who are unlike us, who have different thoughts and opinions and and views of the scripture to kind of sit with us, what will happen is that the word of God will actually increase, not decrease. The number of disciples will exponentially expand and the whole community will see the value of giving their lives to that kind of unity where we open up our hearts and our tables to other voices that may have been marginalized in the past. I've thought a lot about how we respond to those in our community who have been ignored and forgotten and I've just chosen, I'm not gonna buy into the narratives I hear out there and social media and, and the news stations. I'm just not gonna buy it. I know there's some, there's some truth in all of it, you know, on both sides of things, I get that, but man, they don't, they don't have God's interests in mind. Do you know that? The political parties don't have God's interests in mind. Do you know that? Not, none, of, none of them have God written in to their platforms. I want to allow the word of God to speak to us. Let him, uh, let him um, be the driving force in what we think about the different issues we're faced with. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick a side. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose Jesus and try to follow him the best that we can, right? Remember, God so loved the world everyone in it. And he wishes that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. So you know what he did? He gave himself for that vision. He so believed in it that he died for it. See, I I believe that we're not just hurting other people when we limit the size of our tables to only those who are like us or live near us. We are actually working against the gospel itself undermining the very thing Jesus stood for. See, the world is shrinking their tables. It just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And everybody's kind of, you know, I don't think we do chat rooms anymore, but if we did chat rooms, everybody's got their own little chat room and they're, they got, they're all 
fighting and talking in there and they're just talking to each other because they all agree with each other and you know, no other voices are allowed in, you know, and, or if you have a different voice, you definitely don't want to go in that chat room, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's like, and then, then there's this other chat room on the other side. It's doing the same exact thing, but this is the other, other side of the argument, you know, and I'm like, that, don't spend your time with that stuff. There's enough here to give your life to for your whole life to find the way of Jesus and to enlarge our tables. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, just like he did with the church in Acts chapter six, to give space and voice to all God's people. I was thinking about my friendships, my close friendships that I have, and I was thinking, they just span the breadth of political ideologies, sexual identities, um, just you know, denominational affiliations. And these are all just my Christ-following friends, by the way. I thought about getting them all together at my table. And then I thought better of it. <laughs> I'm like, do I really want to do that? <laughs> do I want to bring them all and have them sit down at one table? And, but, I, but I thought, and, you know, and I haven't intentionally done this, by the way, so don't, please don't think me uh, highly more highly than you should of me. I just, this just has happened where there are people in my life that if they knew I was friend with so-and-so, they'd be like, oh, <laughs> you know? And if that person knew I was friend with that person, they'd be like, what, you know? And it's like, but this is the way of Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at, he's not at a tax collector's house this time. He's not at a prostitute's place. He's not at a, um, at, at a Samaritan's home. He's actually in the home of a Pharisee having dinner. <laughs> just, Jesus just keeps making us uncomfortable. And he says, he says to the man who had invited him to dinner, he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Isn't it? it I mean, I imagine around the table, were this guy's friends and the rich and his family, right? And I don't think Jesus is saying, don't, don't like hang out with your friends. I just think he's saying, get more friends. Enlarge your table. Invite others into your, relation, into your circle of relationship. You don't have to discount one to include the other. Jesus is asking us to expand our hearts to bring all in to his banqueting table where he can figure out all the nuances of relationship between the Hellenists and the Hebrews and how all that's gonna work. And, but he does give us some ideas in scripture about how we can um, open up our hearts like this. It can seem impossible, can't it? Like, ooh, you're asking for too much. But here's a, here's a couple ways, and one is in Philippians 2. And I really felt like God like, brought me to Philippians 2 because this has nothing, it doesn't feel like it has any connection with Acts chapter 6. But then I was like, but I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to do this. And you're not going to like it. This is the way, to, this is the way to, to expand your table and deal with the resulting conflict that will happen when you expand your table. You ready for this? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You're like, wait, 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 
all things. You, you know that passage we like, to, we like to focus in on the all things, right? In all things with prayer and supplication. We love that verse. We preach on that one. In all things, pray. In all things, pray. But man, in this climate, in all things, stop fighting, arguing, grumbling. And you're like, that's not, that's the culture, Steve. That's the, that we live in that. That's, 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 we have to. If we don't, if we don't stand our ground right now, what are you afraid of? See, Paul is saying to us, like, listen, the way to expand your tables, to include people that are not like you, is you gotta stop grumbling about everything. And I know, I'm talking, I'm talking to the people online, not to this crowd here. I'm talking to people online, yeah. We gotta stop that. We gotta stop arguing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The way we shine is by not grumbling or complaining or arguing, especially in the midst of conflict because Paul was facing conflict in Philippians in the, in the city of Philippi. I mean, everywhere he went, he faced conflict between Jews and Gentiles. Christians, Jewish Christians that were like, no, you gotta be circumcised. Gentile Christians like, yeah, I ain't doing that. And there was this fight constantly. And Paul, throughout his writings, you have to read it with that understanding. And when he says, do all things without grumbling, he's talking to us, the people of God who weren't able to get along with one another. See, fear of conflict fear that we might, we might not get our way, fear that, that we won't get f f fed while another group gets fed. All of that fear limits our relationships. It closes us off. It doesn't expand our tables. It minimizes our table. I wanna take a moment I've said some pretty heavy things. If, you're, if, you, if you didn't feel the heaviness of this, you probably weren't listening, so that's okay, <laughs> that's okay. Um, but I feel like we need to just take a moment and sit in this story and this narrative and maybe reflect on how, how you've responded, how your heart has responded in this moment in this season, these last two years of how you've allowed, maybe have allowed some grumbling to begin to emerge in your vocabulary and your social postings and all of these things. Maybe just reflect on that. But, I, but after you reflect on that, I wanna take another minute and just like ask the Lord, Lord, how, how do you want me to enlarge my table in this season? Is there someone that I can invite to my table? Is there someone I should be reading or listening to? And, and, and how can I be a little known hero in somebody else's story by opening up my door? Who in my life could use your love and your care and your listening ear? So let's just take a few moments and just take a time, just let this 
words soak into the soil of your heart. Let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do with it. I imagine for some of us, it's a, maybe there's a little repentance that needs to happen because we haven't been living this way and the Holy Spirit's just kind of acknowledging that right now in your heart. Just go ahead and take a moment and ask the Lord to forgive you. And then the second thing that I think we need to do to become people that enlarge our tables is to become more like Jesus. You know, I think so often we focus on other things, we read other things, we spend time listening to other things and Jesus is asking his church to be reformed into his image, to be refashioned according to his word. Even when it's, even when it's not culturally appropriate or the right thing to say or do according to somebody's rules or whatever. It's like, I just wanna follow you, Jesus. I wanna become like you. I wanna, I wanna be formed by you. I wanna be submitted to you. I wanna surrender to you. I wanna surrender my thoughts to your thoughts. I wanna surrender my my passions to your passions. I want, I want my life to be formed more into your image, Jesus. And I'm confident that as we allow our lives to be formed more into your image, Jesus, we, the natural bride product will be in large tables and open hearts and the ability to hear other voices speaking to us in the body of Christ. Jesus constantly made it uncomfortable for the insiders. He just kept pressing his friends to think beyond their current tables. And so Jesus, we ask that you keep pressing us to think beyond, to think bigger, to think more expansively regarding your gospel. Help us, Jesus, to shine like stars in this corrupt world. Jesus, help us to shine like stars in this argumentative world. Help us, Jesus, to shine like stars in this disgruntled world. Guiding lights to you.